Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Sunday Morning Message. Today in a special interview with Lead Pastor Rex Johnson, we welcome former Olympian and WNBA star Marion Jones. never taken a performance enhancing drug and I never will. Her doing what was expected of her, winning, putting it on the line. I want all of you to know that today I pled guilty to two counts of making false statements to federal agents. Jones must surrender herself to authorities by March 11th, although she'll likely turn herself in before that. Because of my actions, I'm retiring from the sport of track and field. Marion Jones was on her way to becoming the greatest track and field athlete, man or woman, ever. Sprinter was released from a federal prison in San Antonio. Funny, you, you never know how your life's going to change. And you think that you kind of know it all. Now you say I'm from around away, yo. And yesterday was I went to Vines properly and I made a mistake. However, I'm coming back from my mistake and she don't want them to make the same mistake. No matter the fashion of my hair, my shoes, I will always do just what I choose. Don't expect of me what you Never in my life did I imagine that I'd be speaking in front of you all. I never imagined that I would have gone to prison. I think she's making a bigger difference than when she was running because now she's able to get out and speak to the youth and try to help someone else. She's confronted her past. She's accepted it, learned lessons from it. She is 34 years old. She hasn't played competitive basketball in a dozen years. But I remember when she was in college. I think it's fantastic. She needs to do something physical because that's what kind of person she is. You don't come across pure athletes often. But she's like shooting these jumpers all in my face. I'm like, hold up. Try it, girl. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, and that's why I think right now, there's no telling what Mary's going to do. Because, you know, she is probably right now one of the strongest women in the world. If you don't see somebody who has been down here, if you don't see them crawling back up and getting back up here, you know, you think that it can't happen. I'm in it to win it. That's what they say, right? <laughs> I think it'll be in the eyes of the beholder, and I know that in my eyes, Marion will always be one of the greatest professional athletes um, to have graced this earth.
gentlemen, would you please give a standing ovation to Marion Jones today? Would you do that? not often that two great athletes get to talk. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Why are they laughing? Because they know. Okay. <laughs> they just know, Marion. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. Wonderful. I am um, so excited to, to get the opportunity to share with you all this morning and I usually have to travel many, many, many miles right. to, to share my um, testimony and my journey, but the fact that I can wake up an hour and a half ago and just drive <laughs> down the street doesn't happen very often, so it's quite the blessing. So thank you, Pastor. We're so, so delighted to have you today, and it's an honor. And you know what, Marion, in all of my ministry here, I have never interviewed anyone on this platform. Well, we're not gonna, it's not going to be an interview. Okay. We're just going to be chatting. We're going to talk. We're just going to talk. All right. I, 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 um, I, think I'm, I think I'm ready for prime time. Okay. I think I'm <laughs> I met this young lady, and, and what you see here today is what you get. She is, uh, I, I, love, I, love, I love my heroes to be humble, and uh, she's one of these kind of people. When I, when I walked in and met her, it was like, hugging my daughter. I have a daughter her very same age. In fact, my daughter's a little bit older than Marion. Marion had a birthday last Sunday. She had a birthday last Sunday. Yeah, Thank pretty you. neat. And, uh, your, she, your daughter's a rock star, by the way. Where is she at? What's that? She's a rock star. Oh, yeah. She's, I hope she has an athlete. Amen. But Marion... Lois Jones was born on the 12th day of October a few years ago. <laughs> She's still in her 30s. She's still very young. One of, the, one of the leaders of our men's fellowship said, Bo, we'd like to have her over there in our men's fellowship so she could school some of our guys on how to play basketball. <laughs> I watched no, her. But do you remember when we met and I said, is it a men's, men's league? You only? said that. And I said, why only men? <laughs> I'm sure we, there's some ladies in the house. That can, you can break that barrier. You can break, you're invited. You're right. invited. <laughs> That's my invitation. That's your invitation. Marion is uh, the happy wife of Obadili Thompson, and she has three beautiful children. Uh, I've got their names down here. Let me, let me Monty, find Monty, Amir, and Eva Marie. Monty's 11, Amir is 7, and our daughter is 5 years old. All righty. There you go. There you go. Now, what we're here to discuss today is not just to, not just to, just to talk and just to make funnies, but we're here to discuss today a life. Uh, Marion, let me, let me ask you something. When, when, did you, when, did you realize, when did you realize that perhaps you had some gifts in your life that were maybe, did you used to, you know, we used to run, we used to r race each other on the school playground, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I could outrun every boy in the school. But you could probably outrun every boy in your school, but, but too. But could you outrun every girl? I didn't race then. 
You're a smart man. I never wanted to be said a woman slayed me on the school playground. Uh, tell me about your little, a little about your upbringing, your life. Well, I was born, as you said, in Los Angeles, California. Um, my mom is a single parent. My parents divorced when I was three years old. I have one older brother, five years older than me. And so when my parents divorced, my mom was pretty much forced to be a single parent, my brother and I. Um, sacrificed a lot, worked numerous jobs to make sure we were provided for. Um, but at a very, very early age, I knew, my mom and I knew that I was blessed with an enormous amount of physical talent. Um, I started participating in all kinds of sports when I was six years old, from soccer to basketball to track and field, you name it. I did it, gymnastics. And I just, we just knew that something was unique mm -hmm. um, about me. Um, so much that the time I was 15, I had made my first Olympic team. And that was, the sport was track and field. Wow. Um, and I just, I had a passion to compete. I, 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 don't, I don't like to say I had a passion to win. I, I want to win. But I always find that the true character is found when you see somebody training and like, mm -hmm. putting in the work. Mm -hmm. um, and even to this day, like, I take pride in the fact that when you see people working hard at something. And so... Like I said, I made my first Olympic team at 15. I decided at 17 that I wanted to pursue basketball and track and field. And so we try, I traveled from California to the University of North Carolina, where I accepted a basketball scholarship to play there. Not a bad basketball school. Not a bad basketball school. Um, and so my freshman year, I was, um, we were on, I, I was on the national championship team. The school's first and only women's national championship wow. at the school. Wow, that's neat. Um, I was the point guard and the captain, and it was an incredible experience. And, um, so, yeah, I, I participated in both sports while in school, majored in broadcast journalism and communications, and graduated in four years and decided that I had missed the sport of track and field because my main focus while at Carolina was basketball. You didn't run? And you didn't I ran, run. Okay. but because we were such a successful basketball mm -hmm. program, mm -hmm. um, I didn't get a lot of time to train. Right. But I had missed the sport of track. It was my first love growing up, and I wanted to get back into it. I wanted, I wanted to realize my dream of being the fastest woman in the world. And I remember when I was six, seven years old. As I mentioned, I'm from Los Angeles, and so in 1984, many of you might remember, the games came to Los Angeles. L.A., right. And that was my first real experience with the Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have enough money to actually go to the events, but I remember that summer when I was nine sitting in front of my television and, and seeing the athletes that summer and saying to myself, telling my mom and my stepfather at the time that that's, that was going to be me, right? And I have been blessed with best mom that anybody could ever have and not Nate. one moment did she ever Nate. say Nate. that uh, Nate. not one moment did she ever say uh you know maybe you should rethink that that those goals are too lofty or you know you're a girl or none of that she said all right let's do it pretty much and, and I think that's where I got this this go-getter this driven <laughs> attitude that nothing is going to stop me I call it the growl yeah, yeah. You got that growl, yeah. And so I, as I mentioned, that summer I sat in front of my TV and I watched the athletes, right? And I watched them cross the line. And it wasn't so much that they won the event, but it was 
I was always intrigued by how they reacted to their win afterwards. Like I was always intrigued by their like post-race interview. Like, were they humble? Yeah. Were they overjoyed? Did they give credit to their competitors? Like like all of that. I studied that. So a lot of people now will ask me, well, how did you, you know, how did you learn to speak in front of crowds? And and I like to say I went to, I think one of the best universities in the land, but they didn't. They didn't teach me how to be humble. They didn't teach me how to just speak from the heart. Um, and that was something that was God-given and, and I studied as I was young. And so that's how this whole Olympic dream started when I was nine. And I, I remember that summer writing on my chalkboard. My mom had purchased for me a chalkboard to put in my room to write my homework assignments. And, and that summer I wrote that I was going to be an Olympic champion. Bucket list. At yeah. nine. No doubt. And um, so people say, well, you know, while you were in school, didn't you have to sacrifice so much of your childhood training and practicing? And, and I never I never saw it as a sacrifice. Like, I always was the one at the door waiting for my mom. All right, we're going to be late to practice. Come on, mom. Come on. Yeah. Right, that's, that's how I am, how I was. And so after I graduated from the University of North Carolina in 1997, I decided to pursue this, this dream of, becoming an Olympic champion and, and doing what I loved. And I, and I started training. And, and very quickly, success came my way. Um, I graduated in May of 97. And by July, I was U.S. national champion. Um, I was the fastest woman in the world. And this was what year? This was in 1997. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's how it all how it all began. And when I say that it happened very quickly, I always like to joke now, be careful what you wish for. Because I remember um, when I was very young, I had wished so much for my name to be in the paper. And now when I see my name in the paper, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> right? Or I remember, <laughs> I remember wanting so bad for my name to be on my shoes. It's, it's just amazing how things can, can turn. And so... Um, I achieved a lot of success very quickly, 97, 98, 99. I'm winning every race all over the world, and I am on cloud nine. But I was, I was still dealing with a lot of um, issues from within. I, I was facing a lot of pain from um, my biological father kind of turning away and not wanting to be a part of my life. And, you know, I was projecting this, this very strong image superwoman image to the world but inside I was still dealing with a lot of a lot of pain mm-hmm. stuff that I never confronted and I think athletics and sports were allowed me unfortunately to kind of disguise the pain cover it yes right and, and right. people want to see that strong that strong female image and so it kind of just became a snowball mm-hmm. and so I'm showing the world like I'm fierce and I'm strong and I'm competitive and inside I'm just a mess and so because of that, now that I'm older, I'm able to kind of pinpoint those little areas that, mm-hmm. that I was weak in. But at the time, no, I, I made the poor choice to, because I wasn't, I don't know, very strong within, I, I made the choice to surround myself with people who didn't have my best interest at heart. You know, mm-hmm. people who would pat me on the back and, and tell me how great I was. And I, and I distanced myself from people who would give it to me straight, like my mom or my friends from childhood. Because, you know, you're, you're young, you think 
You're oh, riding the wave. Yeah, and they can't tell yeah. me anything. Like, yeah. I'm making lots of money. I'm this superstar. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to surround myself with people who are just going to constantly tell me how great I am. And so my critical thinking was, was pushed out the door. Right? And so I, I made the... In 1999, the year before the games in Sydney, I was, I was running well. I was winning every single race, and in the press conference I mentioned... That's where I want to stop okay. you. Okay. I know it happened in 99. You were blowing people away in that, but mm -hmm. between 97 and 99. Why? Why did this happen? Why did this come down? Because well, you surrounded yourself with these people? No, no. I, I, I was... I trained hard, and I right. was blessed with this enormous amount of talent, and in 99 I, I shared with the world that I wanted to and I thought I could win five Olympic medals right. in Sydney yeah. in 2000. And I did. I, I went to Sydney and I won. Um, but as I mentioned, I was surrounding myself with people who didn't have my best interest at heart. And, and in 1999, I was introduced um, to some people who were just doing some, some things that weren't right. And, and I had a coach and I had all these different people surrounding me who really just wanted me around because I was winning races and I could make lots of money for myself and for them. Made them look good. Yeah. Right. And um, I ignored a lot of red flags. You know, when I was given what I thought were supplements, they, they were performance-enhancing drugs. And then when I was confronted with it in 2003 by federal investigators. So let me, let me give a little bit of background information for people who don't remember what was going on in that time. So... Right after 2000, there was a lot of, it's still in the news, mm -hmm. um, but that was when it first surfaced, that there were a number of professional athletes whose names were getting caught up in this performance-enhancing drug ring, and my name got caught up in it. And so in 2003, I was invited by federal agents <laughs> San Francisco I, <laughs> um, to share whatever knowledge I had about a particular lab and a particular individual who was making these supplements. And so I traveled to San Francisco, and I had my attorneys, and I had shared with my attorneys that, you know, I, I believe in a drug-free sport. I always have, and I always will. You saw the video. And I get inside this room, and these federal agents, I could tell very quickly, didn't think that I was telling the truth. And it was supposed to be a two-hour two interview. It wound up being a lot longer than that. Towards the end of the interview, one of the federal agents reached down into his black bag, and he pulled out this little baggie. And it had this clear liquid in it. And immediately when he pulled it out, I realized that it was something that I had taken, something that I had taken prior to the Olympic Games, something that I had been given by a coach and told was something else. And I looked at it and I started to put all of these pieces together, that what had been in the news, this steroid, this performance-enhancing drug, was indeed what I'm seeing now. And for the first time, I realized that um, what I had been taken was not a natural supplement. It wasn't breath freshener. It was like no, two drops no, under the tongue. Yeah, it, it wasn't that at all. But I, in that moment, when this federal agent is shaking this baggie in front of my face across the table wow. and, and claiming that I absolutely knew what it was, I thought, all right. So I could sit here and I could tell them indeed that I had taken it um, and I could risk losing everything that I had dreamed of and, and had trained for or... I can just lie. I can cover it up by saying I don't know what it is. I've never taken it. And possibly this will all go away. And so in the span of literally 30 seconds, um, I made the choice to lie. 
to these federal agents about my knowledge of this performance-enhancing drug. And after I, I told them that I didn't know what it was, they pretty much called the, the interview off. And for another four years, I was able to, to get away with this lie. At that point, I had distanced myself from the people whom I know had undercut me, under, took advantage of me. And, and I was still winning races. And I was still the fastest woman in the world. But as we all know, you know, once you sometimes tell a little lie, the burden of that becomes heavier and heavier. Tell it. Um, and I'm winning yeah. races, and from the outside still, I'm, you know, everybody thinks it's great, but it's bearing down on you like you wouldn't believe it. And in 2007, um, I um, had met a wonderful man, um, and we decided we wanted to start a life together, and we got married, and we moved to Austin. And um, I, well, to back to, to backtrack a little bit. After this interview in 2003, I had my first son, right? And I remember telling him and trying to teach him the right way. And in that, once you make a poor choice, you know, you have to come and you have to tell mom, and we deal with the consequences, right? But then I was realizing that I wasn't living that, right? That I was I was a hypocrite. That you're telling my child one thing, but I'm not living it. And I like to tell people that once you have kids, sometimes um, things become a lot clearer and you realize that everything that you say or don't say, right. in my case, right. or do and don't do can and will affect them one day. And so it makes things a lot clearer. So in 2007, I, I met my husband and we moved to Austin and he was a member of a great church here in Austin and I, for the first time, got into a church family and started going in the church and oh, my faith became stronger and stronger and we prayed that um, you know it was time to, to get rid of this burden that I had been carrying for so long and we knew the consequences would be would be tough right but we certainly didn't expect for them to be as challenging as they as they became and so in 2007 we made the choice that I was going to share with the world and in essence come clean about my poor choices that I had made um, and I voluntarily pled guilty um, to these counts and shared with the world um, probably the hardest thing that I had to do was see prior to sharing with the world that I had done this I knew that it was best for me to share with my friends and family and the people who had supported me from very young Right. the poor choice that I made. And that probably was one of the hardest things that I had to do. And so prior to flying to New York, where all of this was happening, I, my, my immediate family I had called and I had shared with, of course, my mom. Um, but I had, couldn't pick up the phone and call every single friend and family member. And so the, the age we live in, I sent a long email one night. And several hours after I had finished writing this email, I the hardest thing for me to do is have to hit that send button um, because you know now you're telling the people who loved on you no matter what that you had let them down right. and um, the blessing that I received that night was a few minutes after I hit the send button friends from all over the world and family members emailed me back and they said you know we got your back you know we're loving on you we're disappointed awesome. but we're loving on you That's and it. we got your back awesome. and 
there are probably a, a good handful of people whom I thought were friends that I never heard from, right? But that's all right, because, you know, in those moments, you know, God separates the people who really are there for you and the people that are not. That's right. That's right. So, so I flew to New York, and I pled guilty, and a couple months later, I was to be um, sentenced. Now, you know, I had, I had attorneys who were doing their best to represent me, and we were confident um, that this charge wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have any jail time when it came to this. So once you go through something like this, there's something that's called a probation review. And a probation department pretty much reviews your case. And they give a recommendation to the judge based on your life, your upbringing, the charge, everything. And so my probation department recommended to the judge that I get probation, you know, a couple years probation and community service, that that would best. Well, so we went into the sentencing very fairly confident that that's what I would get. Now, we knew that the judge ultimately can decide um, what will happen. And, and right. we knew that the chance, there were chances still of jail time. We were still confident. Um, so that day, we went into the courtroom. And two hours later, um, I had to turn around to my husband, who was sitting on the, the front row. And I looked at him, and I said, well, did he really say six months um, incarceration? So the judge sentenced me to six months um, at a federal prison in Fort Worth, Texas. And I was speechless. Um, I, yeah. I, it's a long fall. Yeah, very long understatement. Uh, had never been around anybody, had gone to prison. No, no family member had ever been the only idea of prison that I knew were those MSNBC lockup shows, <laughs> which I can, can say now that I am a fan of watching, right? Like when the lockup marathon shows come on, you know where I'm at, and my husband, he'll walk into the room and he'll say, really, have we not been through enough? But the reason that I, the reason that I, I think I'm so intrigued by it, I, I am, I think, a lot more sympathetic than the average person because I realize once I went there, that there are people in there, many, who are just like you and I. That's right. right? There are, no, don't get me wrong now. There are some people in there you don't want to cross, right, yeah. in a dark alley. There are those people. But I learned that while I was there, there were people like you and I who made one or two or three poor choices, right? And then I started thinking, wow, you know, I, there are friends that I have that, you know, have crossed the line, had one or two drinks at a Chili's one night and decided to get behind the wheel of a car, and they made it home. Well, these people who are next to me in prison, they unfortunately didn't make it home, and they hit somebody, and they hurt somebody, but there were people in there who had fudged a little bit on their taxes, right? And, you know, the, these little things, you start right. saying, this could really happen to anybody. Right. And so um, after my husband and I got over the shock that I was going to have to go away for six months, I'm a planner, so I started to plan as much as I could. And I'll tell you, there is no um, how-to enter prison book out there, right? There is no, like, 
guide on how to handle incarceration. <laughs> um, and so it was very difficult for me. And I go back to saying, like, be careful of what you wish for. I couldn't wait for me to be known by the world. And so the day that I turned myself in at Fort Worth, um, at FMC Carswell, which is the female institution that I was sentenced to, and I walked in, and in those, that situation, you want to be anonymous, right? You don't want anybody to know who you are. And so I walked in, um, in my, like, I like to joke, in my little martial arts shoes and prison garb, and I walked past this television room, and my news story is on the news that day, right? There are helicopters <laughs> circling over the, the prison trying to get the shot, Right, of Marion, and so I like to say, gosh, you know, be care careful what you wish for. But I come back to saying this, that probably those six months were the most incredible blessing in my life. Right, and people, people were like, how, I mean, how so? You, you were here, and then you were here, and I say, well, for the first time in my life, it forced me to really slow down, no pun intended, right? It forced me to realize, like, like what's important in life. Right. Right? And so it's not, Amen. It's not the, how big the house, it's not how fancy the car, all that is nice, right? Amen. But it's your relationship with Jesus Hallelujah. Christ. Hallelujah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Glory. You're really what, you know, I, and, and so because I had so much time on my hands. And I, and I, I laugh at this. Like, don't, don't think you have to be out there. Like, like, am I at a point where I have shed so many tears over my poor choice that I'm done with that? Like, if, if I can't now make light of the situation and, and encourage people that, that once you make a poor choice, right, that life does not end. Thank and you, so Lord. that's, how, that's you. how my story, I think, relates to people in that I know that everybody can't or is not blessed with this amazing physical talent that I was blessed with, but everybody right, deals with struggle in their life. Right. You know, different types of struggle. Right. You know, the feeling of um, not feeling worthy, um, dealing with the loss of a loved one, dealing with losing a job. Like, people deal with struggle and they need to learn and know like, that life doesn't end when things are tough, right? And, like, like I'm, if, if I can be that example, and, yeah, it's not easy when I travel. So now people always ask, like, like what are you doing now, Marion? Well, I, I have been so blessed in the span of four or five years in that, um, you know. Well, let me back up a little bit. So... Because this part of the story is, is you're going down the questions Sorry, real good. I, didn't even ask. <laughs> I talk every Sunday. I don't. I love listening to you, but you're you're, you're doing good. So I um, we're almost to the I, end of the questions. I I um I, when I when I entered the facility in in Carswell, um, the warden and everybody met with me, and they said, you know, Marion, don't. Don't become friends with these ladies in here, right? Because they'll all lie to you. You know, you just take care of yourself and look out for yourself. And I realized very quickly that, well, the first few weeks were very tough in there. Um, and I, 
I can remember writing letters, pages and pages to my husband about, you know, what a, just a mess I had made of my life. And he just encouraged me to continue to pray and um, that, you know, you have faith that things will get better. And I found that by starting to connect with some of the other ladies in there, some, many of whom I actually call friends to this day, I find that they, people would come up to me, these other ladies, and they would share their stories with me, right? And I would think to myself, you know, why are they sharing their stories with me? And it quickly became, um, I started to understand that they realized that once I was released, that I would have a voice, right? That people would want to hear about my experience. And so that by them sharing with me, right, it was their voice. Because many of them, I realized that um, many who had been in there 5, 10, 15 years, and I would spend nights early on there, like crying myself to sleep, missing. By that time, I had two sons. My husband and I made the, the choice. Um, to My husband is from Barbados. And so we made the choice to send our boys to spend time with their grandparents while I was away. Because I never, I, I would sit in visitation when my husband would come and visit me. And I would see these ladies and their families would come and their kids and I would notice how comfortable, like, these kids would be in this prison. And a lot of them little African-American kids. And I, and I told my husband, I never wanted my boys, right, to feel comfortable coming into a prison. I, I never wanted them to be driving up and, like, huh, this is the norm, right? <laughs> right. And so as difficult as it was for me not to ha see them for six months or connect with them. I never wanted them to get comfortable. And so that was the reason we decided to send them away. Um, and so while, while I was there and I was finally getting used to the situation, I, I, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't say used to it, but I was becoming more comfortable. Um, an incident happened. Uh, fellow cellmate of mine decided that that she was going to try to make her way with me, and she attacked me, and I defended myself. And so I was in solitary confinement for 49 days. Um, That's when you really meet Jesus. No doubt. Wow. No doubt. I, at that point, I didn't have... Mm -hmm. Wow. All I had were my Bible. I had hundreds of letters from people all over the world who would send me letters who had never met me. A lot of them had never seen me run, but they had heard about me, and so they wrote me. I, every month in prison, there's this thing called commissary, and, and um, my husband would take care of my, my money on my books. That's how, that's prison lingo, books on my books. Um, and a few months into my six months stay there, I realized he would tell me in letters um, that there was already money on my books, and we were realizing that there were little old ladies all over this country who had take, taken up offerings and had, yeah, were praying for me and blessing me in ways God's that, been good to you. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And so once I started reading this and I started pouring into the Bible and I started to realize that, that God loves me not because I'm Marion Jones, right, the athlete, but he loves me because of who I am. He knew 
my story before I knew it. And he knew right, 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 he right, knew that I was gonna right. make he knew that I was gonna make poor choice, right? And he was just waiting for me to realize that he loves me no matter what. And you know, once while I was in solitary and I had so much time to reflect on who I was, who I am, and more importantly who I was gonna become, right? And things started to finally like become clearer. Right. right. So that's why I say that this whole situation was an incredible blessing for me, because I don't know if I would have slowed down enough like, to, for it to all become clear. And so while I was in solitary, I was going back and forth struggling on now. OK, Marion, once you're released, like, what does your future look like? I, I knew that I really couldn't get back into the sport that I loved. Um, and I, I wanted so much to reconnect with my family and my kids. And while in solitary, your certain basic things are taken away from you. I, I couldn't talk to my kids. I, I couldn't um, see my husband. Um, and so I realized that, yes, I wanted to go back home and to be reconnect with my family and be the best mom and wife and friend. But I also have this testimony that needs to be shared. And my husband and I knew that the, sh the challenge would be a tough one because a lot of people wouldn't want to hear what I had to say. A lot of people wouldn't believe me mm -hmm. after the poor choice that I had made and lied to the world for, for so long about what I had done. But we prayed about it, and I knew that regardless of what so many people thought, that this testimony needed to be shared. Right. It needed to be shared to whomever would listen. And so when I was released, I, I, well, while I was in solitary, I, I was trying, praying about how I can share this message in, in the best possible way. And I knew that I wanted to, to share with young people, like, the dangers, right, of not being careful whom you associate with, not getting sound advice from people. And so I developed this message to share, particularly with young people, but, but this message can relate can be related to anybody. This whole idea of when you encounter tough situations in your life, right, it's important for you to take a step back, for you to take a break. So the message started like that. So it's my take a break message, that when you encounter hard situations in your Very life, right, good. you take a step back to think about the consequences of your choices. Right? Very good. Right? You take a step back to think about, all right, if I surround myself with people who don't have my best interest in mind, or what I tell to young people now, right? The people who you're hanging out with, the people who you're chilling with, Come right? If they don't Good. have the same way of thinking of y as you, right? You're going to get caught in this in this wave, right? So there are three basic there are three basic elements to this take a break message. One is be careful who you associate yourself with. Very good. Um, the second one is to get sound advice from people who have real life experience, right? So when I tell these kids this, like, I'm not talking about your buddies next to you, right, who are facing some of the same peer pressures that you are. And I'm not saying it has to be a parent, but somebody who has real life experience will say, you know, Rex, you know, what you're doing is not right, right? You need to, you need to think. And right. then once, once you have surrounded yourself with people who have, this positive way of thinking and gotten, get, have gotten sound advice, right? Then you act on it. Like you don't sit on it. 
and you think about the consequences of those choices. And if you, you apply those tools right to your everyday living, it will help you make better choices right. in your own life. And so when I was released and we connected with some few, few people and I started talking in front of kids, it just became like a snowball, mm -hmm. right? And more and more administrators and people wanted me to come to their school to share this. And I shared my story at my church. So my home church is Shoreline Christian um, in North Austin. And I shared my testimony um, with Pastor Rob. And he made some calls. And I was able then to share my testimony in so many more churches around the world. And about 10 months after I was released, my husband and I were still praying about, you know, my future and, and how this was all going to turn out. And I still had a passion for sport. Now, just because, you know, I wasn't able to participate in track and field doesn't take away the fact that I'm an athlete at heart and, and I'm very competitive. And, and so, funny story, I'm about seven months pregnant with my third child, and I got a text from a friend. This is a longtime friend, a mentor, former attorney of mine. And he texts me, and he said, Marion, would you ever be interested in playing professional basketball? Right? So <laughs> now you got to understand where I was at the time, not only physically but mentally. I was seven months pregnant with my third child. I hadn't played basketball in over a decade, and I'm a convicted felon, right? <laughs> so my response text to this individual was pretty much LOL, like, who are you? <laughs> You know, and, and, and now looking back on it, I, I wasn't exercising true faith, right? Because this was, this was the sign, I, I believe, a sign from God. Um, and so my response to him was LOL, and his response back was, no, your name has been thrown around with some WNBA coaches wondering if you'd ever be interested in playing. So this is really out of... I say out of left field, but really it wasn't because God was answering prayers for my husband and mine. And we weren't praying for me to play professional basketball, but we were praying for a way um, that I can share this testimony share with more people. Share your story, yes. Right? Right. right? And many times we don't know what the path looks like, right? And this was my path. And so my husband and I decided that, that we were going to pursue this, this journey of me trying to make a WNBA team um, with, the, with the hope, right, that this testimony and this journey would be shared with people all over the world. And so a month after my daughter was born, a I month. one month, I started back. <laughs> I started back. I started back training. And I got connected with a WNBA coach in San Antonio. And so I was commuting every day. I would drop my boys off at school. I, I was, sorry, I was, I was breastfeeding at the time, and I was, I was pumping, right? And so on the drive to San Antonio before my training session, like I was having to do this, and I would train for two and three hours. I would pump again. I would get in the car in time to pick up my boys from school, right? And so this happened for however many months with the hopes of making a WNBA team. And... We're waiting for the call of one of these WNBA coaches like, to make, the, and we, we weren't getting any call. And then one day, I don't know how he got my cell phone number, 
But I pick up the phone, and this gentleman saying, Marion Jones? And I, I usually don't. I usually screen my calls, but for whatever reason, we know the reason. But on that particular day, I picked up, and it was Nolan Richardson. And strolling Nolan. Stro <laughs> strolling Nolan. And so for those of you who don't know who Nolan Richardson was, he is Hall of Fame basketball coach right. from University of Arkansas. He won right. a title there. Um, he was known for his 40 minutes of hell defense. Right. Um, and he had just gotten the job in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as the new WNBA coach there, and had heard that I was back training and wanted to see if it was for real. <laughs> so he said, Marion, are you available to fly to Tulsa next week and try out for me? Bring the baby. <laughs> <laughs> so I got on a plane that following week, and I worked out for Nolan. Wow. And that day, he signed me to a WNBA contract. Wow. Wow. So that, so that was, are we, are we low for time? Are we We're three minutes from quitting time. You okay. have talked good. Okay. <laughs> I have more questions, but they'll have to wait. Okay. They'll, they'll have to wait for the second service. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just stay in your seats for the second service. We're 42 seconds, 43 seconds. That's my clock. Okay. Over. All right. Cool. It's all right. You okay. did good. Okay. So Challenge I made them. this team, and if you think that's the end of the story, it's, it's not. Come to um, second service. Yeah. <laughs> it was an incredibly humbling experience for me. Yes. Because for the first time, I wasn't the star, right? I, I was sitting on the bench riding the pine, but the camera was on me, right? And so imagine how difficult that must be. And so I made the choice it took me a few weeks and games to, to come to this conclusion that, right, I'm, it's not about me being on the court anymore. Right. That this journey, that this story is inspiring people all over the world. That once you go through hard times, and at that immediate moment, my hard time was me not getting playing time. Right. Right. right? But that's not really what it was about. You're in the game. And people... The camera was on me, and people were seeing how I was going to be reacting to this humbling experience, right? And when I realized that, it just became so much more clear that when I was on the court, you were going to see God shining through me, right? And, and so my experience in the WNBA was a short one. It was two years. I made the choice that I needed to, to come back home and, and, and to make my roots here with my family, with my community. And I still travel occasionally. I, a few times a month, I travel different parts of the, the country sharing this testimony. Um, and I, I like to say that I, I believe God thinks I'm one bad mama jamma, right? Because he doesn't push you. One bad what? Mama jamma. Because, I don't remember that. because, you know, they say he doesn't put you through things that you can't handle. Right. Right. right? And so, really, he knew that I was going to come through this and that it was going to be a hard road, but he knew that I was going to get through it, right? And ultimately be able to share that it's because of him and his grace that I got through it. Beautiful, kid. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah.
Marion, I, 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 uh, I, just, I just did a series here at the church, and I called it, Oh, But Yes, You Can Begin Again. And I broke it into three segments. Yes, the first one was yes. The second one was you can, and the third begin again. And you are a beautiful example of someone. What I wanted to ask you, what I wanted to ask you is that if you was blowing everybody away, you'd have won those medals anyhow. You'd have won them anyhow. And that's the respite that you can have in all this, that you were the best, and you got in trouble by hanging with the wrong people, but you found God sweetly when nobody was there but Him. It's an awesome thing. Clap your hands. We love you. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Good stuff, huh? After second service today, Marion and I are going to have a, a race on the parking lot. When Alexander Wright played for the Dallas Cowboys, he came and spoke to us one Sunday. And we had a dash. I was a much younger man. He was the fastest man in the NFL. Not the fastest man in the world, just the NFL. He ran a 4.09 40-yard dash. I challenged him to a race. I was already five steps into it when I challenged him. I said, you can't catch me. The car was 10 yards away. He almost touched that car before I did. But I can say I outran Alexander Wright. And somehow one day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to run with Marion that way, and I'm going to be way ahead, and I'm going to say, you can't catch me until I touch that, that wall, and that wall will be right there. Marion, we're delighted to have you today. It's an honor. It's an honor. Amen. Anybody believe that God's grace is awesome? Anybody believe that God's grace is amazing? Come on now. Anybody? Oh, what a graceful God we have. Come on, clap your hands all over the house. He has raised us and saved us. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.